The reading is taken this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favour, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonour, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known, yet regarded as unknown, dying, and yet we live on, beaten, and yet not killed, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor, yet making many rich, having nothing, and yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children. Open wide your hearts also. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My technical assistant. (laughs) I'm terrible with computers, is it not? Good morning, everyone. Is it working? It is when you get there. <laughs> I was going to say Steve did it before. Steve's coming to the rescue. <laughs> can manage without, but it does help concentration. <laughs> I haven't got any pictures. I haven't got any pictures. <laughs> Shall we pray? Father, we ask that you will open our hearts so that we can hear what you're saying to each one of us individually in our situation and that we'll know how to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're thinking today, Paul's problems, our problems. Some years ago, 
David Watson, who was an Anglican vicar, took a team from his church round to many other many venues in England on a sort of mission. And the team were getting a bit fed up. They were sleeping in different beds each night, they were packing and unpacking, they were tired, and they were having a grumble. So poor so David read this to them, which is just a short list from Paul's problems. Being flogged severely, exposed to death many times, beaten with rods, pelted with stones, often cold and naked, going without sleep and food. And he then said to them, oh, what's your problem? <laughs> when we compare with Paul and all the things he went through, what's our problem? And when we compare with those who have been persecuted for their faith in other lands, what's our problem? But the trouble is, even though our problems are nothing compared with those, it doesn't make our pain any the less. Some of you will have heard of Johnny Erickson Tarder, quadriplegic, can only move her head. And she's a radiant Christian, and many people come to her with their problems, small, trivial problems compared with hers. And somebody said to her once, don't you get frustrated when people come with these trivial things and you have your great problems? And she said, no, each person's problems are big to them. And I think we have to remember that, that to know that others suffer more than us doesn't actually help. It just adds guilt. It doesn't make any power, our pain any the less. But what does help is knowing how our trials can actually benefit us. A couple of weeks ago, Mia was speaking about this, and she mentioned some of the benefits that it, we can comfort others, that we're identified with Christ, that we're thrown onto God. And the one I want to major on today is God can use our trials to help us to grow, to mature as Christians to transform our character. Because without trials, we would be hard and uncaring. There's an example of this in Jeremiah 48. Jeremiah speaks about the Moabites who've always had life easy, nothing to disturb them. Lovely, easy, comfortable life. And the result was that their character remained unchanged. And he goes on in that chapter to say what their character is. They were proud, arrogant, full of self-exaltation. They hadn't changed because life was too easy. And we need trials to move us on to maturity. We see this with Paul. All his suffering resulted in purity. This is in verse 6. Purity, understanding, patience, kindness, sincere love. That all came in his life through his suffering. But does this happen automatically? As we get older, do we automatically change? Does our character become more like that of Jesus? Or do we have to do something for it to have that effect? Well, this is how I believe it works. Some may see it a different way, but I like to see this is the way we grow. And I get this from Romans 5, 2 to 4. 
And it begins by saying we boast in the hope of God. We become a Christian. Jesus is in our lives. Life is wonderful. We're on the mountaintop. We've got all his blessings. We've got a place in heaven. Surely life's going to be like that for the rest of our lives. Wonderful. But it doesn't stay like that. And Paul says, we also boast in our trials, or some versions say suffering or tribulations, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And then he goes on to say perseverance produces hope. Sorry, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And this is how the spiral works. We start on the mountaintop, enjoying the promises of God, that that has to be tested. It's no use believing his promises up here in our mind. It's got to be worked in our character. It's got to be real to us. And that happens through trials. As the trials come, God's saying, do you still believe this? Are you still holding on? And we get to the bottom of the spiral where we're holding on by the skin of our teeth. Can we still go on believing? And we hold on and hold on, and sometimes as if God's left us at that point. And then we get to character, or some versions say proven character, where that trial has done its work, and what God has said to us in the beginning is real in our experience. And it then leads up to the top of the next spiral. And guess what? Then we go back round again. And we're all at different points on the spiral. Sometimes I know where I am. Sometimes I know very well that life is fruitful, it's wonderful, God's speaking to me. Other times I know that I'm on the downward part. But you see, the downward part isn't going backwards, it's growing and going on. That's the important thing. Sometimes when we no longer feel God's presence, we think we're going back, we're losing it. As long as we're still trusting him, we're not losing it. We're not going backwards. It's all moving us forward into proven character. And sometimes I know I'm going on that downward part, but because I understand this from the spiral, it helps me to move and to go on. And we may be at the bottom of a spiral, quite high up, and somebody else at the top of theirs further down. And we mistakenly think, oh, they're much closer to God than I am. I've lost it, but they're enjoying all his promises. They're enjoying his presence. They may not be as far on as we are, but we happen to be on the downward part. It's all part of growth. It's all God's way of moving us on. But how can we make sure that we keep moving on, that we don't get stuck on that trials part or the perseverance start, that we don't get stuck on that part of the spiral. How can we make sure that our trials do us good? Another thing that, that Mia said, I've got a lot from Mia because she spoke on this sort of subject, uh, twice I think she has, and she talks about how boiling water can soften some things and harden others. And that's how it is, you see, our trials can harden us or they can soften us. And we'll see later how we can make sure they soften us and move us on. So the first thing we need to know, if we're going to move on, if they're going to do us good, is to see the whole picture. Paul said these words, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time 
are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And our suffering may seem to be lasting forever, but our trials are only temporary. And the glory that we're going to experience later will far, far make up for any trials of this life. I became a Christian when I was 12 at a children's rally. All the Sunday schools in Bedford, where I lived, came together for this great big rally. And they taught us a particular song. And it seems strange that it was for children, but it meant a lot to me. These are the words. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One look at his dear face, all sorrows will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Seems strange with children to be singing that, but I've often thought about it and I've thought, it's true. It's true, it will be worth it all in the end. And we need to bear that in mind. This life isn't everything, it's just a little part. And there's great glory to come. It will be worth it all. So see the whole picture. And the other thing is choose our attitude. Change the way we view what, looking at our trials, the way we look at them has a great effect on us, and we should look in the light of Scripture. So what does God say about our situation? Not what do other people say, what do the doctors say, what does the devil say, what do our emotions say, but what does God say about this situation? Look at it in the light of what he says. There's a song of Don Francisco that I really love, and, and the words in it are, a word in faith is my sword and shield. Jesus is the Lord of the way I feel. Is he the Lord of the way you feel about your trials? He can be, it's a choice, a choice that we make. Many years ago, one of our four children, he was in his teens and he was having problems at school and he was pulled between a Christian upbringing and what was going on at school and he ran away from home. And I was very, very close to him. David used to say we were attached with a piece of string. Very close to him. And I thought my heart would break. You hear about these children that go away and you never ever see them again. And I didn't know if I would ever see him in all my life. And my heart was breaking. And I can remember, it's funny how you remember stupid little things in times like this. And I can remember being in the garden, hanging out washing. And the words of Romans 8:28 came to me. And I said, in this very situation, God is at work for good. I praise you, Lord. And I believed it. And it wasn't all that long before we got our son back, things were better, everything moved on. I thought God was in it, he was. But the important thing was to believe it at the time, through all the pain. It really helped me through it. James, in his letter, says, count it all joy when you meet various trials. Well, I don't know about you, but I would find it very hard to say, great, there's another trial I can grow. I mean, I don't tend to look on trials like that way, in that way. But you can see why James did. Because we see the spiral again here. 
He says, count it all joy when you meet various trials because the testing of your faith leads to perseverance. Down the bottom of the spiral. And perseverance leads to maturity, character, when the trial has done its work. And in chapter 12, Paul says, we are well content with weakness, insults, distresses, persecution, that the power of Christ may dwell in us. Well content. And think what Paul went through. Could we say well content? I don't think I could. It's quite a challenge. And in choosing our attitude, we can also choose to forgive where that's necessary. Because sometimes our trials, our suffering, is caused by others' sin, others re- the way they've reacted to us. And we need to choose to forgive them if we want to move on. Paul didn't feel resentment towards those who persecuted him. He wrote and he lived 1 Corinthians 13. Love is not easily angered. It keeps no records of love, of wrongs. He didn't hold anything against those who persecuted him. And you find this in the Christians, in these countries where they're being persecuted. Many of them say, what we want more than anything else, pray that we'll be able to forgive. Because unforgiveness leads to bitterness. Forgiveness helps us to move on. So we need to choose to trust. Choose to believe that God's at work in our situation. Choose to praise him. So see the whole picture, choose our attitude, and receive grace. The first verse that Margaret read to us was, don't receive the grace of God in vain. And the grace of God in this context is all the benefits that are ours through Jesus. Everything Jesus is, is ours. Everything His inner strength, his power, his resolve, everything is ours. We just have to let it work in us. Don't receive it in vain. He is with us in our trials. He'll give us all that we need, and his presence will see us through. I love the words of an old hymn, and this is how they go. When darkness seems to veil his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. When all around my soul gives way, he still is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Receive his grace, know his presence in us, and go forward with him through our difficulties. I want to close with the challenge. The monks of Chartreux, when they first erected a monastery, made all the windows look in at a small inner court. There were no windows showing the beautiful views around of the mountains and the glaciers, so all they had to look at was this inner court. So too, many of us are always contemplating the trifles of Earth's inner court and ignoring the unseen and eternal what God is actually doing in our lives. A thumb can block out a mountain. What fills our minds? What fills our hearts, our thoughts, 
the problems we're going through, or the joy of knowing that they can all be used to move us on and bring us closer to the heart of God. And surely that's what we long for. Amen.